Welcome to Emerging Franchise Brands, the podcast that introduces you to the visionary founders of America's fastest growing franchise opportunities. We'll also hear from industry pros as they share insights on what it really takes to achieve the elusive milestone of 100 plus locations. I am your host, Frank Fumi, founder of i9 Sports, and my 20-year journey from inception to acquisition has given me a unique perspective on how to succeed in franchising. Join me as we welcome today's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Emerging Franchise Brands podcast. On today's show, I have the COO of Bloomin' Blinds. I have Chris Stewart on the show. Chris, how are you? Excellent. How are you, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for, for coming on. Appreciate the opportunity. So my wife and I had a chance to hear you speak, actually, at the Springboard Conference in last fall. It's great to have you on the show and kind of talk about the story of Bloomin' Blinds and um, how, how this thing got started. Yeah, the, uh, the, those, my brother Kelsey on stage, but we're frequently um, misconstrued one for the other. But yeah, I was in the audience giving hand signals and nods of uh, assurance on his comments. There you that go, the okay. Time. That was the first time at the springboard that we'd been on, uh, had a stage presence. So it was, we kind of run this company shoulder to shoulder along with my other brother. And so it was very much of a, you know, are we doing okay? Yeah, you're doing great type back and forth. Uh, we've been, we've never lived apart or worked apart since we've been out, out of the home. Um, for, wow. you know, I'm 45, he's 47. So our ability to communicate with a, a nod or a wink is next level. And so it, it makes running the company efficient when we can cool. communicate with that ease and efficiency. So nice. All right. Uh, so it was, it was Kelsey on stage and I forget who the commentator, the moderator for the thing was, but he called me out in the audience for the, you know, <laughs> calling signs and stuff like the catcher. <laughs> nice. So let's go back to the beginning. I understand mom is the founder of the company in 2001, specifically you mentioned nine 11. Correct. And you're one of three brothers that are involved in the company. So let's talk about the genesis of this and the yep. how 9-11 obviously impacted this, the start of yeah, this. Um, genesis is kind of a BC period to it. Mom did a blind company by herself in Northwest Washington State for six or so years prior to moving to Texas. Um, divorced, self-made success on multiple other businesses as an entrepreneur, uh, taking baked pizza, children's clothing, this was just the next evolution of something else to do. Um, she's a single woman now, wanted to kind of get out of town. So Texas became the destination. My younger brother, Kevin, came first. I came after. Mom came summer of midsummer of 01. Uh, started rummaging around, getting the business set up. Uh, again, Kevin and I living together when my you know, younger brother living together now. So we've never been apart mm -hmm. as a family. Mom brought that business down to Texas after selling and, and kind of getting out of Dodge from uh, the relationship up north. Brought the company down here and did the paperwork. 9-11 happened. Comptroller's office stamped the paperwork and was shortly thereafter sent home for a few days. So that became our anniversary as the retail arm and then franchise uh, paperwork at 14 and first one on the ground at 15. Wow. And now your background, though, is in firefighting. Is that right? Yeah. So when we started Bloom and Blinds, it was never intended to be a franchise. This was not built to franchise um, on inception. It was built to provide a mom and three sons with a family business that could keep us together and we could depend on each other and which we enjoyed. And it was meant to be jobs. My brother being the dreamer and that visionary mindset, hence the CEO, 
said, there's other ways to do this. Like we don't have to work so hard doing this. There's other efforts we can do and kind of share the love. And it the choice was separate the family and go to separate parts of the country and do this, you know, without each other. Or there's this thing called franchising where others will, you could teach other people to do that and they'll take your business out there. And that's how we found franchising was basically in an effort to not break up the family. Well, let's go. I want to go back, Chris, to even the, the, the beginning. Why blinds? How, how did the, the concept start? The concept started. Mom did it in Washington, right? She was looking for something to do, found an ad in the back of a newspaper of a guy selling an ultrasonic cleaning tank, mm-hmm. uh, literally did the deal on a napkin at a Denny's. Uh, she <laughs> promised to pay 50% of her profits until the tank was paid off. And that's how she got introduced to blinds. She, she met a really generous, nice, kind person who said, sure. I believe in, in what you're trying to do. And that kind of became the genesis of the entire entry into window coverings. And did so mom she, did it independently and then her sons joined. And did she own a business before the, this is her first entrepreneurial journey? It was her third entrepreneurial journey. Okay. Yep. And so she had a series of take and bake. She had six, I think at one point, take and bake pizza stores with her mom in central California. And they did that together. Prior to that, she had had a children's clothing shop in central California prior okay. to going to Washington. So this was the next evolution of life for her when she had a significant life change and needed to, to find a landing pad. Uh, much is our history. We created our own. Wow. She taught us how to do that. So you, you guys are running this company owned location for lack of a better word for 13 years before you franchise the concept, right? I'm just curious to know, I want to get a sense of how big the company was before you franchised. Yeah, we had at the peak, we had 11 employees for our local operation and we're doing just under 3 million in retail sales um, annually. Okay. So you, you guys are happy, you're doing well. And then all of a sudden one day, Kelsey goes, I think we need to franchise this. What did you guys, it, what did you all think? Shut up and finish your job. Right? Cause we're all, we're all doing the job. Like brother, we're on a, we're on a job. We need to finish first. Like right. let's focus here, right? I'm the ops guy. I want to finish what's in front of me before I go buy it the next chunk. Right. Well, him over the dreamer is like, well, hang on, hear me out. I got an idea. Right. Fine. Whatever. And keep talking. I got work to do. Uh And so it was a, it was the year, maybe a two year process of, it wasn't an overnight thing. Kelsey would, you know, go do some sales appointments, then schedule off the afternoon to go chase paperwork and the learning of the thing that was necessary and just the super high level of entering the franchise space. Right. FDD you know, ops manuals, things like that, that were necessary elements. He spent the time chasing those kind of double duty and uh, launching the franchise while also doing retail sales for um, the family business. So that's how we got all our paper. We had a really great mentor in Chris Connor mm-hmm. uh, from Franchise Marketing Systems that um, became good friends with over the years okay. and has given us great advice. He did the original paperwork for us. Um, very good mentor, very, you know, helpful in advice and kind of that Jimmy Cricket for us on the shoulder of, hey, watch out for that, you know, check out that, just a sounding board, mostly for Kelsey, but it was great leadership. Kelsey was the sole employee of the franchise for the first couple of years mm-hmm. on the books. We were all double dipping in the retail, work in retail. And then when we had a franchisee for training, we would, you know, layer those together mm-hmm. so we could manage the training and management at the same time. And then in 2017, sold that operation to uh, the then office manager and went full-time franchisor. Wow. And kind of plateaued at that with that capacity, 
needed full-time attention to kind of get to that next stage. And that's mm-hmm. kind of was the beginning of the new evolution or, or really the maturity, I think is a better word of the brand mm-hmm. and, and how we found our space. But. Well, Chris, the, the thing that you said that is very, very common among us franchisors is that one, we didn't come from a franchise background or an experience, but two, we were fortunate to find a mentor and find somebody that would help kind of guide us and lead the way that you didn't have to just make all the mistakes on your own because you might not have survived it, but you had somebody that you can rely on and gave you some great guidance. So now you franchise in 2017, you guys sold off then the company location. How many franchises between 2014 from the time you franchised from 2014 to 2017, how many franchises did you guys have on board before it was like, okay, we're all jumping onto the franchise ship? In the 20s, I believe low 20s, right in that range, 24 sounds like a comfortable, but it was somewhere in that range because we were all, Kelsey would know, um, it was intimate for him, but we were doing at the time I was doing, I was a firefighter and also, you know, doing retail install sales repair side of the of the business as well as training when we had franchisees in town so it was very ad hoc structure uh, <laughs> as we were going because we knew at the time we didn't understand franchising as it is we we wanted to teach other people how to do the job and we mm-hmm. thought that was it right if i teach people how to do window coverings i'm a franchisor mm-hmm. and it it took some some time and some some well-learned lessons to figure out that there, when you become a franchisor, you really are accepting the responsibility to properly engage two separate industries because right. franchising has its own needs and requirements, marketing, advertising, voice, uh, volume of voice that the widget or window coverings doesn't. And we have to be mutually to, I think, to give a proper service offering to our franchise business owners we have to be equally adept at both. We can't just be great widget people and poor franchisors. We have to be excellent franchisors because they're buying a franchise brand, Mm -hmm. not just a brand, a franchise brand. They're inseparable to us. So, and it took us a while to learn that. And we're eternally grateful for the patience that our early adopting franchisees, franchise business owners gave us because we were, we, I feel confident that we, we did not mislead them in our capability. Right. Like, we told them our desires and our, our direction and our, our growth path and where we want to be. We just don't quite yet know how to get there. And they said, okay, I get it. Like they're the early entrepreneurs too. They're the brave ones that are saying, I'll take a chance on they, you. They know what them what they're getting themselves into generally speaking in franchising when you're an early adopter. Yep. Yeah. And they're I a think different at breed. this point in our, they are. And where I'm, I'm very grateful for that other side of that breed that isn't always so common, but they, <laughs> brought to the table in spades to get us to the point now where I think we're, we're starting to be able to pay out on those promises of we're, we're trying to, I'm seeing, I'm talking with you, like, yeah, yeah. We made some stride and we're building a brand and I, this year is going to be pretty exciting for the things that we're, we're launching this year. So mm. from there to here, I think their patience is going to be rewarded shortly with sure. um, some lift. Well, Chris, you know, a lot of the folks, I think that pay attention to this podcast, our fellow emerging franchise or founders that you know, maybe they just have a dozen franchise locations or they are, maybe they're where you are, although you're more established now, just to clarify the numbers, you guys are understanding you're at 62 owners in 116 territories and, you know, over two dozen states. So you're well beyond emerging, but I'd be curious. I love your 
full transparency on this. As COO, how hard is it to help take those early adopter franchisees when there weren't as many rules? And you know, as you become a franchisor that's more established, suddenly you guys are putting more processes, procedures, there's more rules, there's things that you allowed early on back in 2017 that you can't allow in 2023. Can you share with maybe the audience on how you navigate that very dicey process of bringing people along when there's rules that change? Uh, the first thing that came to mind is like a buffalo, right? There's a, I don't know the origin of the, the storytelling of it, but basically buffalo on the plane engage storms head on. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they understand that if a storm is coming this direction and I'm going this direction, I'll get through it faster and be done. That's our general mindset about life and things um, of that nature is it just is what it is. We're very open and honest up front uh, with our franchisees about our, our current capabilities or desired capabilities, what we can bring to the table and how we view progress and maturity. So when it comes, they're like, yep, you told me, All right? I get it. We'll have some massaging. I'll have to change a couple things here and there. Mm-hmm. But they, because the entire development of the process was so transparent and upfront, they, they've seen every nuance of the build of the thing. And it, it has some costs to it. There's some, you know, oh, you guys talked about this a little bit ago. Oh, we went a different direction. Uh, okay, cool. I get it. Like they know we're always trying to earn our royalty. And so I feel that that's our job is to never have them ask, why am I paying a royalty to you guys? Sure. And if, if we do that, then as we make changes and as we develop different systems or update processes, they see value in that because we're still out front. We're still chasing other revenue streams or products or technology or partnerships, whatever. And so there is a, hey guys, here's this new refinement. Right on. Thanks. I uh-huh. appreciate it. That's progress. We've never lost their trust. And so when we make changes, they believe that it's in their best interest because we've not, um, I think we've been transparent in our effort the entire time. And so there's no suspicion of maligned intent or anything else floating around. Sure. Well, Chris, it sounds like to me, you, you guys have taken the time to communicate things and franchise owners like anybody, they don't like surprises. And by you getting ahead of it helps. I want to go back to something you glossed over. You mentioned firefighter and your firefighting career. How have you taken that career and somehow weaved it in to blooming blinds? It's, it's the outline that it becomes such a lifestyle, a part of a mindset approach to, where you sit in a restaurant to how you drive your car on the road to how you assess an intersection as you come through it, everything becomes a input that you can do something with, whether you're in the home on a medical assessment or approaching the scene of an accident and it's the, the windshield size up. There's information and that the training teaches you how to process information and prioritize it. This is important. This is not it it becomes so ingrained in you that you can't separate it for 24 hours. You're in uniform on duty. You may be sleeping, but you're tuned, you're switched on the entire time. So you're constantly taking in information. And so it becomes such an ingrained part of you that bluntly, I don't know another way. (laughs) So when we, when we scaled our team and, and brought in, ops team and customer care center call center, if you will, in house. And we went from three people on October 17th 
to 16 staff members on October 18th, I had to basically insert overnight a management practice system, if you will. Mm -hmm. And my only frame of reference in people management came from a public safety sector. I figured if it mattered, if the training style and methodology was specifically designed to teach people skills, physical skills that are necessary to potentially save lives or property, why can't that just be parlayed into window coverings? (laughs) And so that made it, it wasn't to transition. I just changed topics. Right. But how we create training content, course objective, you know, resources necessary, the props, you know, that's how you build a roof prop simulation for ventilating a a roof on a structure fire. It's the same points are are there. A a firehouse, uh, the management of a firehouse and the people and personalities, right? You've got all six to eight personalities from varying backgrounds that are all focused on the same tasks for somebody else with limited information. I mean, that is a blind appointment, right? We mm-hmm. have dispatch in office as the call center. Right. We have the kitchen table, which we all eat together at. We've got varied personalities focused on a single task for somebody else. At the end of the day, our job, our function, if you will, in our office is knowledge transfer. That's mm-hmm. we to all, whether it's business operations, window covering, motorization programming, Knowledge from a strategic partnership that we align. It's we're a conduit, and our job is to be a very efficient conduit from knowledge of one point to another, and vice versa. And as long as we are not a bottleneck for that, people value us in that position. And that's much like firefighting. I was the officer of the station. I'm a conduit from up high and down low in both directions. And so the similarities almost directly overlap in the kind of viewpoint and focus. And a lot of people like scoff at it, like, oh, that was firefighting is so important. It's it's a job. It's a very rewarding, necessary, fulfilling job, but it's it's a job. This is a job. Like you can use the same mindsets. If they're important there, they can be important here to the same outcome. So sure. Yeah, it was. Well, let's see it. Let, Chris, let's show the let's show the audience what your training center looks like and so, how you've applied the firefighting career <laughs> to so, Bloomin' Blind. As if it were a roof simulation prop, we have functional scale props with technological broadcast capability. Um, <laughs> see, kind of the culinary school monitor. That's a training class. We've got three owners down there and a technician training currently. Wow. But yeah, it's just as if we were building a roof simulator at the firehouse. Um, it's got to be to scale. It's got to have function. It's got to have no distraction from the task. So there's no paint on the props. So we don't, we're not concerned about scratching things. I want sole focus on the task at hand. So everything down there was designed and conceived to eliminate distraction. Mm. So what we do here is we, this is job training. We got them for two weeks. We have to teach you a skill. In two weeks, I need you to go from zero to hero in 90 hours to be able to stand in your home and confidently offer our, our services, not mm-hmm. products, services. Our, our first product is an emotion. I leave your home with money, but the for transaction is an emotion because I don't have a product left behind for two weeks. So there's, there's the reality that how you do that to then deliver the product is is a very nuanced thing and i think that's where we shine um, as a brand in that in a space shared by others is a completely different approach to the thing Mm -hmm. 
and that excitement and kind of the feeling left with the consumer is not of regret and wonder if it was a good deal. It's excitement and telling their their girlfriends and their and their husbands' friends that how excited they are. In two weeks, they're going to get what they paid for. Mm-hmm. And Chris, tell me what um, if there was somebody who was listening that might be a potential franchisee. What what makes your brand different, and what you what you do, or why you do what you do? Yeah, the, one of the the biggest differentiator for us is the repair space and how we view that repair. Uh, we were the first national brand to offer repairs uh, in home. There are others, and, and you know, flattery is the or imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Sure. I'll take it. But we started that. And I think that instill that changes the way we speak and educate the customer on the product. We come at it from a how does it function first standpoint, and it has to meet the the performance needs of the consumer. And if that performance need is simply design or texture, we can do that too. But if it's light control, I absolutely have a product that is better served for light control. If it's privacy, I have a product that's great for privacy. I have one that doesn't do so great for privacy. And it's our job. It's the franchise business owner's job in the home to help educate that customer in that decision-making tree, if you will. So when they they make that decision for two weeks, they know exactly what they're going to get. And then it shows up exactly like we told them it would, does exactly what it said. And there's consistency in that. For the same price, right? That from start to finish, we never have to remember what we said because there's no there's no lies, there's no salesmanship. It's data points mm-hmm. of this one performs two points better than this one. Like here it is on paper, and then we we show them that it's a again to the firefighting. It's a, the idea of an informed patient, right? In medicine or EMS, when mm-hmm. we have a patient on the on the ground, we need to do deliver interventions to life-saving or whatever is necessary on them. It's our duty as EMS providers to make them an informed patient, which means the the benefits and risks of the medicine we're going to administer, you know, if it's going which route and, you know, potential side effects of that. We do the exact same thing in our training here. Here, this is customer. Mm-hmm. We call him Mrs. Smith. I need to make you an informed buyer an informed consumer. I need to show you the, the benefits and risks of this product. And as it applies to your application, I need to show you what it's going to cost, how it's going to come, what it's going to look like. And we could do all that with technology, with augmented reality visualizers and all sorts of advanced technologies that our industry is yet to really adopt. And we're kind of putting those at the forefront. So we take this very analog idea of repair and fixing and kind of hang on a second let me take that apart and give it a look Mm -hmm. and layer that with the care and compassion that somebody that actually cares how your life's going to be affected by what they do to for with you and then the knowledge and capability of an advanced level understanding of technological systems and things like that and now you have a mechanic that came out from under a car in a suit with clean fingers that says hang on i can sell you a car let me tell you about this one. And you know he's an expert because he fixes them all day long. Right. So you're looking for people, they're conscientious, they're empathetic people. They know that, obviously, they're going to somebody's home, but they very much are relationship people. Yep. Those very value-minded. Yeah. Value-minded. So who is your your ideal franchise owner? Is there a particular background that has been sort of a common thread among your franchise owners. We've had everything, everyone's owned a, a flour mill manager to special operations veteran to 
police, fire, accounting. It, the, the, I think the crux of it is somebody who's considerate, somebody mm-hmm. who can be considerate of others and actually integrate a response into, an, into a problem-solving equation because it's what we're solving functional problems in the home and consider downstream impacts, right? So the analytical process, being able to think about and what if, but not get stuck into it. So being able to quickly, and I say consider it, not just from the compassionate side of it, but from the analytical side of consideration. Like we just use discretion in the fire department. Discretion can go a bunch of different ways from privacy to decision-making. And so it's kind of the consideration goes into that. It's being able to, you know, quick thinking, analytical, very relational, like to say, if you can't hold a conversation with a stranger at the checkout line at the supermarket mm-hmm. and it be pleasant, this may not be the right franchise for you. And you have to be able to communicate. You can't communicate. I wish you well in whatever endeavor it will be, but this needs the ability to communicate that consideration, technical data, being able to clearly explain well understood concepts that are other words technologically unreachable for a layman. Right, right. Let's uh, let's go back to if I was a potential franchise owner, what's the more important trait that I have a sales background of getting the, you know, obviously to be able to get sales or am I hiring for that? Or am I more of a technical person? And are they doing the hands-on work or are they hiring people? So I'm a new franchise yep. owner, Chris, who am I hiring? What am I doing? Am I doing this myself? Am I hiring people? Who am I, who am I employing? Between those two, I would say sales-minded because that's the people management side of it. Yes. Uh, the technical aspect, we, we teach. You scale out an employee, send them here, we teach them for free. Same two-week training, the full meal deal, in here under our tutelage, 90 hours, no cost. So that's the first advantage for us when you, when you onboard an employee. But someone who's managed people between the sales and technical aspect, that's where we find the greatest um, learning points. For new franchisees as they um, go to kind of that next level of their business ownership is learning to manage people. They've had typically experience in it under the guidelines of large companies that have spent millions on suits and attorneys to create those protocols that they are very rigid about maintaining. And then they they go into their own ownership and now they have staff and employees and they they have loose guidelines from their state that they haven't, you know, HR stuff going cross state lines. We can't really get into that area of it. Joint employer, obvious issues, but sure. now they're, it's not just the legal, it's the motivational. It's the, how do I inspire them? How do I reach them where they emotionally need me to be, to get them motivated in the way that I need to. Those, those are the kind of the nuanced stuff that, that you can't put in the brochure that you kind of, you either got it or you don't like you're a people person or you're a, a leader manager kind of mm-hmm. conundrum. Mm-hmm. We ran into that a lot in the fire department. You've got great inspirational leaders that are horrible managers. Mm. You've got great managers that couldn't, they couldn't lead, you know, right. lead a fish underwater. Right. So, <laughs> and it, it, if you can, if you can lead people, management's a skill that can be taught. Right? That's a, that's a, a task. Leadership is a mindset. And I think so between sales and technical, you give me a choice. I'm going to go with the sales guy because he has a mindset different that the technical focus sometimes needs to develop in time. Okay. And how do you guys help franchise owners find clients? Find clients, digital marketing. Our primary footprint is in the digital space. Scorpion is our um, web partner. We've been with them. We were their sixth franchise client when they onboarded a a franchise division. So we've been with them for about six years. And so they've got a really good 
data set on our our customer base and kind of where they're found what our our sales channels are are getting them at and what value each one of those has because of our experience in in office we don't have any franchisors any franchising experience in office everyone is a widget person they're all from the window covering industry our entire <laughs> team right um so we we find great partners in this space that we trust and that help educate us in their fields enough to make good decisions on behalf of the franchise because we're not IT guys, we're not SDO mm -hmm. specialists. We don't have that skill set in office. So we find very vetted, proven partners and trust them to do what they do well, much like our manufacturers do. So that's very I mean uh, it's, it's very smart because you know you're you're doing what you're best at and outsource the things right. that you're not, right? That's the, the right way to, to, to run a business. Chris, I'm kind of curious, you know, as the COO of the company, you've got, what do we say, 62 owners, 116 territories. You guys have reached this established franchised status now. You're no longer, you know, just emerging and up and coming. So I would love for you to share with these emerging founders that are here in this podcast on how did you know as the COO and also your brother as the CEO, how did you guys know it's like, okay, we can, we can go quicker now. We can scale this more quickly internally, infrastructure wise. When did you know it was okay to start turning the dial up? I think the first real deflection point in, in our path came when we first looked to onboard a franchise sales organization. We were talking with a few different ones at the time and they were, you know, varying perspectives on the idea different models, some equity, some royalty, some nothing. And we found, um, we're with Franchise Fastlane, and we found Franchise Fastlane, and they did their vetting process. And they basically said, great, everything looks good. Just so you know, if you onboard with us and you're not ready to absorb the infrastructure, you know, the, the pressure on your infrastructure, sure. it's going to crush you. And we looked at each other, which at the time was three, and went, what infrastructure? <laughs> Like there's three of us guys. Like I'm so glad you're saying this. I, I am. I love that you're saying this because this, so many people are going to relate to this. All right. So then right. what happens next? Right. And so, okay. There's a realization of we can't, so we don't. So to the best of my knowledge, I think we're the only brand that's told Fastlane no, right? It's self-preservation, but mm -hmm. we'll take the stat. And so then it became, okay, well, how do we? And from a very, Again, useful skill set of making order out of chaos, which was a previous feature of my day. Right. It, it became okay. Well, we've got all this. It's like cleaning your room when you're a child and it's just a disaster. Where do you start? Right. You end up playing with your toys instead of cleaning the room. And it was that idea of, okay, we can't play with the toys. We have to clean and organize our room. And we have to figure out which piles are bigger than others and where we have to move stuff to be able to do this thing. And then, so it was, it was a function of, of the really foreign concept of goal setting, mm -hmm. right? Like nobody's <laughs> ever heard of that before, but we said, look, if we're going to do this, these are the elements that we're going to need. So that was in 2019, early 2019, 2020, right? The event that will not be mentioned, uh, happened and it was, oh shit, bluntly hmm. COVID happened. And it was, there were still three of us at the time. We all set our desks are in a triangle in the same room. And so we're all looking across the desk at each other. And we're like, guys, there's at the time 52 families that are counting on us to be, what are we going to do? Mm. Like we're not scaled. There's three of us who, how are we going to, we're in home service, in a respiratory pandemic. Like, yeah. How are you going to survive this? Yeah. How's the company going to survive this, Chris? And so, I mean, window coverings, essential services, 
because I knew how to read municipal ordinances and was writing SOPs for the fire department, I knew the difference in shall, thus, may, must in a municipal document. So I was, send me all your ordinances that say you, you have to be essential in so many ways to go work. So I'm now receiving 50 some municipal ordinances from our franchisees highlighting four to five different things or you only had to meet one to be essential. And I'm like, this, this, this isn't this, you're essential. Sending it back to him. Like, put this on your front seat, go take appointments guys. And except for the California shops, everybody went to work. So we had, I think through that period of 47% lift in sales, because so if you were willing to work there, home services, we all know what happened to home Exploded. services and franchising. Oh yeah. Yeah. So if you were willing to get out there and do it, which our guys were, they went and did it. And so we just kept working. Commute was easy. Kelsey, Kevin, and I kept coming to the same office every day. We were making lunches instead of ordering lunches. And so we just, we had a, a owner in the system that had a lending arm. And so we were looking at SBA, we're looking at PPP, we're doing, we've got an expert under roof. And so it was just a matter of mustering resources as if I were incident command. Hey, I need a guy over here for this specialty. Great. Who do I got on my resource board? Great. Call up that one. Like send him over there. And it was just managing order out of chaos. As soon as COVID hit, we knew the goal was out there to scale and expand. So once the hugeness of COVID subsided a little bit and normality started to seep back in, SBA opened up the EIDL and EIDL became available. And we said, wait a second, I can do a loan. I don't have to sell any of this. We can retain ownership and still do our own thing. And a bit of arrogance, like our path is the best path, but I, that's why you franchise it because you believe in it so much. So right. we got some EIDL money, said, thank you very much, Mr. Government, and onboarded team, staff, call center, headquarters, office, the furniture, cabling, everything that was necessary to do it and mm -hmm. had a the runway to scale and basically like a buffalo invest into that storm and say, look, we're either going to build it or buy it and we don't have the resources to buy it. So we need to build it. So let's go buy the best tools and materials we can in technology and team. And here we are. That was in October 18th. We kind of went plateau with that was the day all our, our team started so that's kind of our, our next maturity as a full brand and engaging the ifa and properly engaging the franchising industry and i think that's why we've seen so much success in the last couple of years franchise fast lanes uh, notoriety and reputation certainly didn't hurt mm -hmm. but being having that the team being able to focus there so we could go focus on brand development and engaging that industry and participate in the IFA and springboard and those events has been like everything's in alignment. I say a lot of serendipity. One of our, our VP of ops says God's will. It's tough to it's tough for me to stand here and not believe it's been touched by by that powerful hand on a considerable degree. Yeah. Uh, everything everything aligns when we need it to here. And it is a a very bountiful feeling of, of being blessed. That's awesome. It makes it fun. How many, yeah. How many times do, um, do we have things happen where we go? All right. There's, there is no coincidence. There's too many things that, that are aligning here and too many things happen for, uh, we always say, you know, a big believer in things happen for us, not to us. And you guys made the best of a very tough situation. And more importantly, as I'm hearing you talk, Christopher, this, you know, this past, you know, 
30 some odd minutes, I keep thinking that how lucky and how smart your mom is and your family that you guys put the right people in the right seats on the bus. Because I continually hear as you're speaking, you are a COO. You were the right brother to be the COO. <laughs> and it sounds like your older brother was the right person to be the CEO, being the dreamer. And your younger brother, Kevin, I understand that he's the technical officer. He's the widget guy. It's like you guys put the right people in the right seats. And I think that is a, a huge, huge compliment to the success of you guys. And yeah, no, I think that, no surprise. That our, I think that is our, our cheat code. Right. A lot of a lot of brands have a single founder versus a single viewpoint and it's genius for their thing. It is absolutely the guy for that thing. And right. it is brilliant. But it's a single viewpoint. We through nature of nurture, DNA, birthright position, all that stuff, it created that it fostered those personalities in us so so deeply and our history has been so intertwined shoulder to shoulder forever. Mm-hmm. That we have three, we basically have each 33 and a third percent of that circle. Our desks are still in the same office. They still touch corners. They're 120 degree desks <laughs> now. So they make a full circle. It allows us to have that input from all three perspectives, knowing that he's not trying to undermine me. That's my brother, right? He loves me and mm-hmm. wants me to do well and support me and this brand. I know what he's fighting me on is from his mindset position, not on his outcome position. Our outcome, and that's what eliminates the fight, is wait, we're all trying to get to the same place? Okay, bring your third. I'll bring my third, not two thirds. It's just a third. It overlaps enough to not be in conflict. And so we get that a hive mind almost of all three perspectives on a decision, not just the single founder's posture or viewpoint of the world or his widget that doesn't consider the other pathways that are out there. So yeah, we are absolutely perfectly suited for our our positions that we're currently doing. Have you guys had times though where the three of you did not agree on major, absolutely major strategic? And how how did you get through that? It's conveniently <laughs> three. So, so my brother likes to tell the story. So he's our dev guy. We were at a franchise conference. Okay, Kelsey, Kevin, and myself. It was our first time at franchise. So we launched with Fastlane in. I think December of 2000, or maybe it's 2001, start 21. And so we were at their first franchise conference, and we had decided that we were all going to wear the matching black t-shirts and kind of, I'm 6'4", and I'm the runt. And so we were all going to kind of, and Tom Ryan, who was our director at the time, if anyone knows him, he's a 6'4 guy also. So Mm -hmm. here's, you know, 6'4 to 6'6", we were all going to wear the same t-shirts and shoulder to shoulder and like enter the room like... (laughs) a huge wall of brandy. <laughs> Kelsey, Kelsey had a pink shirt on and we're like, Kelsey, no, this it's t-shirt day. Like we talked about this and he's like, I want to wear pink. And we're like, Kevin, you vote black t-shirt. <laughs> and it, like, it's, it's close. Right? Kelsey, and go over. back he goes to in, the room, go change. But it's development. It's his focus. It's his decision technically, right? right to make, but right. the vote wins all the way to, you know, a six figure contract that we're going to do our branding project with was mm-hmm. the same feature. It's like, well, I'm not quite sure about it. Well, let's vote two hands up, one down, done contract signed five minutes later. So, wow. and it's just that two thirds is better than none. And so if we can consider two thirds of the two out of three of those perspectives, we have a majority in favor simple as that right we're all fighting for the same thing yeah from a different viewpoint so consider that two out of three wins events over let's go to the next cool and it's 
working in the same office. I mean, we've, we've fought for years, like cleaning blinds in the back of a 14 foot box truck in Texas summer. You get out <laughs> all the nitpicking and bickering and all that stuff right. uh, long ago. So now they're just whatever, like let's get to the important stuff. So there's right. no posturing anymore. Everyone's very comfortable in their space and who they're with. That's awesome. Your mom is a very, very smart lady. Very lucky that she's got, three great boys that somehow figured this all out. And I'm sure she played a very big role in that product of our environment. Yeah. So I, I'm curious to know the three of you talk about sort of the vision for the company. Like where, where ultimately do you want to take this? Uh, you know, nation, Under Armour, right? Nationwide. So we frequently talk, we all know who the Nike is in our industry. Sure. And, but Under Armour came on to Nike and in a matter of three to five years, had gobbled up how much of their market share? Yeah, a whole lot. So that's where we view ourselves, right? Is we, you know, budget laid the, the groundwork for the model. It can mm -hmm. be done. It can be done well. But let's do it a little bit better. Let's let's do it our way, our methodology, our our local intimate voice, and keep it that way. We try and say if we can do kind of Farmer Tom's mindset with Amazon Speed. Right where our grandpas used to go get a bag of feed for the horses, and if they forgot their wallet, a handshake was enough because there was that a, that relationship between Farmer Tom and a grandpa that he's coming back on Tuesday with his wallet. And mm. Feed store owner knows it, but it's fine. Handshake. We'll see you later, Tom. All right. And if you could do that at Amazon, like drone delivery style speed and the transparency, and maintain that relationship while integrating that. I mean, the sky's the limit. I, I think society is yearning for intimate relationships back again mm -hmm. between the last two decades of social media and the kind of the, the dissolving of some of that relationship. I, I think agree. that that is the society's clamoring back for that, but they don't want to sacrifice the technology for it. They really enjoy this speed and convenience, but man, I miss some of that. Not all the old ways, but some of the old feelings that I used to have. So. Mm -hmm. If we can use the technology to reinforce how our relationship point with you and not replace it, I think that's that's where we want to go. There's some AI tools that we want to bring in, certainly on the design side, but even on the communication side as well. But how those fit in our model are, are very, very strategic, very localized in the process. I don't, it'll never replace human interaction, mm -hmm. but we can do some communication tools that are very, very efficient and deliver some great information, links and things like that through some automation that continue communication and reinforce known relationship as opposed to like, let's eliminate the people and just throw a boss at it. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll never use automation to replace the, the person. It'll always be used for our brand to enhance that person's position in the home. I think, Strengthen their foundation, if you will. But that, that's on the near horizon is really tightening up our service offering and bringing in some of those technological pieces that are out there and kind of, and really looking at how those can reinforce our, our very rigid critical elements that you know, the hills will die on, if you will. Right. Tell me about some of the challenges on the manufacturing side. Well, the manufacturers, it's, we don't manufacture. Right. So we make sure we have really good partners. COVID didn't have the biggest limitation through COVID, which is our most recent experience in, in anything on the supply chain was that just the shipping element of it. Right. Product sourcing for, for in our industry didn't really tighten up much. Um, some of the woods um, did because of import restrictions, but it wasn't from a product quantity. Mm -hmm. It was legality, right? Like stuff crossing borders that might have COVID stuck all over it. 
all that's gone. I think as the shipping constraints lifted up, I think our delays were some of the first to kind of dissolve. So our job in the manufacturing side is to make sure we find partners at the strategic level that align with our viewpoints. There are brands out there that are just product brands. They don't want relationship. They don't want to do anything other than move units. More power to you, buddy. I wish you the best, but that's not us. I would rather move one unit and have you love me and call me back in two years than move 22 units and have you wonder why you bought those. Mm. You'll buy the other 21 from us. I'll just wait for it because I know you will. You'll go talk to the other one and then talk and ask how we did it and you'll see the difference. There's a, a, a bit of trusting that it will sell itself and then a little bit of you know motivation behind it in the marketing space. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had only word of mouth marketing as a retail unit for a handful of years. All we did was door hangers to get $3 million in, in sales. We didn't have a website at the time. Yeah. And look, uh, going back in time, you guys did get through, this is before franchising, but you guys did get through the recession. and All of them. Yeah. So you went through definitely at least two of them for sure. And- we can argue that there's we're mid-recession now or a recession is coming or we're in a, a recession that's rolling. Um, I know other founders would probably love to hear what you're going to say is that how did you get through the recession in a business that does not sound recession resistant? The repair side was the functional element of that. As people stopped buying new products, they were replacing um, or re- sorry, repairing mm-hmm. what they were stuck at home staring at. As you know, you're going out to dinner less, you're now in the dining room more and all those things become apparent. So having the repair model maintains cash flow. The margins on repairs are significantly higher than sales. Your net sales may go down, but your profitability may maintain or so that it happened to us after the 08 recession. But it is a, a part of its resiliency, right? It's mindset, right? You can't, you can't quit, right? You, I mean, you can, right? But you don't, right? Right. You don't get into this. It's, it's like in, my second marriage, honey, when, you know, when I'm done with you, like no one says that stuff. You don't, <laughs> you don't do, right. you don't become a franchisor to quit. So you're, yeah, put all your eggs in that basket and be resilient as, as you possibly can. And if you have one Z in your system, you have to go down with the ship. That's the promise. Right. You're a franchisor. So that is, that's it. That's it. You, the you, horse has left the barn. yourself to that <laughs> ship. Yep. And until somebody else wants to come in and take over your ship for you, your one job is to maintain the water tightness of that vessel for, for everybody else that you agreed to protect under its, you know, in its hull or under its umbrella, however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that re- resiliency mindset, we've got a, a thing on a, of a picture of a shark on the wall. And it's just the jaw. And, and it's all graffitied up and kind of colorful and fun on a black background. And we like to tell people like we're the nicest sharks you'll ever meet, but we're still sharks. Like we still want to, I'm here to make profit. I'm here for success for myself, my family, my Z's, like everybody attached. But at the same time, a shark can't sleep. It can't stop moving. If it stops swimming, it dies. So it has to keep going forward. And so there's a lot of that mindset stuff that, you know, again, pulled from the fire department, right? Like everything's mindset. You can't quit. You I'm tired. The house is on fire. Like I'll just sit here and just rest a little bit. Right? It doesn't. You can't stop. You have to keep going. It's just a constant, never quit mindset. That that's probably eighty percent of it. Mm -hmm. You know, the other ten percent is your cash runway, and the other ten percent is you know your processes and stuff to get you through those things. But like most everything, I think the vast majority of it's your mental position on the task. And if it's I'm going to succeed, and I I won't be stopped. You. You can't be stopped. Sure. You and, you spend the time 
coming up with the solution, not focusing on the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a li- that's a life lesson, not just a franchise lesson. Yeah, for sure. What's been your biggest surprise since being involved in the franchise industry? Uh, that came early on. And I, I figured out what I meant recently, but the fact that it, it, the widget has nothing to do with franchising. They're disassociated uh, topics. That was the biggest learning curve as a whole. Recently, it's the acknowledgement that letting other people handle your stuff makes it better. Letting it go. That emotional attachment of a founder to their thing. If you hire somebody to represent your thing and go do work and then tell them exactly how you want it because you're the founder and it's yours, it'll always just be that thing. It'll never, it takes all those other inputs to, to reach the next plateau and to scale. I mean, it's a known thing that that founder attachment, that emotional anchor that sometimes keeps brands from accelerating is once you kind of, once you're the captain of the ship, you're not running the engine room anymore. Right. We call right. that founderitis, inflammation yeah. of the founder when they get in their way, right? Yep. And if you can talk about it and you can nod your head and agree with it, then maintaining that is choice. Mm-hmm. And there, you have to be honest with yourself. If you're making that choice, what it's going to lead to. Sure. If you could say that and you can acknowledge it, then to me, that's like all you need to not do it. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that you give your business what it needs and sometimes it will need something more than just you. If you really love it, yep. it's not about you. The, a business is never about you. Well, you guys certainly have, you guys learned that lesson as, you know, mom was the founder, but the three of you have navigated this, this journey just tremendously. Chris, what advice would you give to people that are considering joining your brand as a franchise owner? Single piece of advice to somebody considering a blue and blinds. Come here, come here. I think it needs, we're working on how to talk about the feeling that this place gives. And that's, that's been our challenge is how to take what people consistently tell us is different within three to five minutes of being in the room. They get here and they're like, whoa, what are you guys doing here? And it's, I was, I, they want more of it. It's never like skeptical. It's There's a feeling in the room, the way we work, the way that the team interacts. Right now, you it's tough to talk about it, right? We gave Franchise Fastlane a really cool feeling without a lot of content to talk about. <laughs> uh, we didn't, we're mature and we didn't develop the assets right. um, for them to do that. And we're real close to being finished on a project that will do it, exactly that. We found mm. a great team in the advertising marketing space that, understood that exactly that challenger brand mindset to get here to feel that feeling to be in the room to let it kind of just wash over you and be like okay now i get it all the calls and the ue calls and all that stuff is that's necessary but the most impactful thing is just getting in the room and i and fast lane in the process that's their confirmation day but in very short order it's going to be something that's tangible and tactile that we can hand somebody. Come and meet. And, you know, we can take everybody uh, down here. Let's see. We've got Aaron as an IT services manager. Juan Pablo used to fix cars. Rocio used to own a employment company. Okay. And I believe Tracy was an attorney for a Fortune 500 company. Wow. What a diverse group, so, huh? Right, and these and the three of them are owners, and one's a technician. So, mm-hmm. like, we could take from all sorts. If you're a people person, you can communicate. We can teach you this. We can teach you the widget and the skill, mm-hmm. and we will do so to a confidence level. Confidently do it at an introductory level is the messaging of our training division. So That's so the cool. Students should be able to do the job. The job confidently do the job at an introductory level upon finishing the school, mm-hmm. because we, there's too much. You can't can't do confident. 
an expert, but I can teach you how to learn. I can show you the support tools and I can teach you how to use us as resources. They get everybody's cell phone number, including mine and Kelsey's, everybody else's when they leave here, because we did the job. We're all widget people from front to back. You can call our entire team and they can support you doing the job. Very nice. You guys have created quite the culture, it sounds like. And it sounds like to me, there's, there's a mystique about Bloomin' Blinds that people just need to see and feel like you're saying, be there. That's that's awesome. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the feeling. I will be proud of our assets when they're created. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm proud. I'm more glad that we created the thing and then had to figure out how to talk about it more than we had to craft a thing to fit the talked about. Right. Points. You did it in the right order. It, it feels genuine as I'll get out. Yeah. And that's of utmost for us is no one will ever wonder. Did you mean that? <laughs> if we said it, we meant it. And it's it, that goes for our consumers, our franchise business owners, the rest of the franchising industry, our partners. They know who we are. And there's no there's no guessing or wondering. I like that. Nice. Chris, if someone was interested in learning more about the franchise opportunity, how can they get more info? Bloomandblinds.com. There's a franchise owner franchise button at the top, and that'll take you right to the team at Franchise Fastlane. Or you can call Franchise Fastlane uh, directly and go to their website. But uh, they handle all our dev for us. Bloomandblinds.com for more information. Everyone's available. This has been great. Chris, one more thing. The tip jar. So franchise community is so generous. What do you got? If I'm in a... I'm an entrepreneur aspiring to get into franchising. What's one piece of advice that you'd give me? IFA. IFA. Absolutely. Go to the IFA early. I wish, I wish eight years ago when we franchised, when we started talking about this, we would have engaged the IFA. Mm -hmm. We'd have had this conversation years ago, pre-COVID, had we had our friends in the IFA that we do now helping us manage and navigate this learning curve right uh, that is the single greatest source of information of knowledge in our in the franchising industry is at or within or surrounding the ifa they are the they're the umbrella that protects us all and has the most collective mentorship and sharing of ideas and desire to my tip jar is go go to the big show early go make friends stand in the middle of the room and raise your hand and say i need i need a friend Right, right. It'll be like a moth to flame. It'll be like, ooh, someone needs a friend. I like friends. Right. That is franchising. That is, uh, that is. And it's, it, it's a relationship. Yeah. Well, look, heck, if Kelsey would have known that and wanted to go to the IFA early, you guys wouldn't have told him to shut up and go back to work. We <laughs> like, did. <laughs> we did. And I feel bad. Like, I'm I'm actively pursuing the team at the IFA. Right. Like, how can I, I – I asked him, like, give me a job. Don't pay me. But I feel bad because for years <laughs> – and, and I've, I've told this to Matt Aller. I said, for years, we, we trash-talked the IFA because we didn't understand it. Yes. We didn't engage it. We were head down. Making teaching widgets. The, not engaging franchising, not being good franchisors. Uh-huh. And there, I, I mean, I feel a, a debt of gratitude, certainly, that I need to repay in whether it's advocacy or a mentorship through their roundtable, whatever it is. But, man, we'd be we'd be 10 years ahead had we had that level of guidance and surrounding ourselves total immersion of that of the franchising world there and the, and the purity of mission and everything that they mm-hmm. they have and have maintained um, that'd be my tip chris we're going to end it there that was fantastic advice thank you so much for being on the show i appreciate it i look forward to meeting you one day look forward to it you're going to be at the big show in phoenix i sure will I will find you. All right. See you. See you then. Thanks, Frank. Thank you for tuning into the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. 
For additional insights, guest applications, and to stay connected, visit us at efbpodcast.com. The Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of Emerging Franchise Brands, its host Frank Fumi, or Emerging Franchise Group, LLC. Any discussed franchise or investment opportunity requires thorough investigation, obtaining proper disclosure documents, and expert consultation before making any investment decisions. The podcast and its host do not offer professional advice or endorsements, and they hold no responsibility for actions, representations, accuracy, or consequential damages related to the podcast content.